Hi, welcome to the Suffragette Series podcast, where we elevate female voices across politics, philanthropy, and pageantry, while sharing the stories of the women of the suffrage movement and talking about the impact women have had in the century that has followed the 19th Amendment being signed, sealed, and delivered. I'm your host, Tally Bevis, Miss Tennessee with the Miss America organization and founder of Vote with a Vision in Tennessee. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine and the woman who preceded me in my current job. Brianna Mason Brody is a proud Nashville native, and in 2017, she graduated from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, where she received her bachelor's in psychology with a minor in elementary education. She followed that up with a master's in teacher education in 2018. Brianna achieved the coveted title and job of Miss Tennessee 2019 and was the first black woman to represent the state at Miss America in, at the time, its almost 100-year history. Brianna was an Equity and Justice Scholarship finalist at Miss America, and as Miss Tennessee, she served as the public representative for the state organization, working with the Tennessee Department of Education as the spokesperson for Reading Literacy and the Whole Child Initiative. She was the state ambassador for our five Children's Miracle Network hospitals, and along with many other roles, she traveled over 30,000 miles across our home state of Tennessee. She now works as a first grade teacher at Robert Churchwell Museum Magnet Elementary School in Nashville, Tennessee, and serves as the co-founder and co-president of Advocates for Autism, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. She's a member of the Nashville Metropolitan Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Inc. In her free time, she enjoys baking, shopping, and hanging out with her husband, TJ, and their two cats, Knight and Neeland. But first, before we get into it, it's time for our 60-second suffragette story, starting right now. By the 1870s, women were pressuring Congress to vote on an amendment that would recognize their rights as American women, the 19th Amendment. In the final years of that struggle to pass the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, giving women the right to vote, Anne Dallas Dudley, a Tennessean, was chosen as the vice president of the National American Women's Suffrage Association. Dudley became the first woman in Tennessee to lead a march of over 2,000 women from downtown Nashville to Centennial Park, where she stands forever at the suffrage monument today in Centennial Park. Tennessee became the 36th and final state needed to ratify the 19th Amendment and bring this amendment to fruition. As we celebrate 101 years since the 19th Amendment was passed, Tennessee and Dudley were at the forefront of making historical change for women that's lasted a century. Oh my goodness, Brianna, hello. Welcome to the Suffragette Series podcast. It's so good to see you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I honestly, you know, having competed with you in the Miss Tennessee and Miss America organization, it's so crazy not seeing you at events and appearances and uh, organization Zooms. I mean, just not seeing your face pop up. Being a former Miss Tennessee now, How are you feeling like it's over, it's done, your career in this Miss America organization, you had such an amazing and historic moment as Miss Tennessee. How are you doing just overall post Miss Tennessee? It's it's pretty interesting being like a normal person, Um, but I just, I, it's really crazy, especially with the pandemic and 
um, everything being pretty much two years ago, um, I'm constantly getting like memories popping up on my phone and Facebook. And I'm like, wow, I cannot believe that was my life. I cannot believe that um, I did those things and those things happened. And, um, and I had that moment, but I, it's, it's, it's interesting looking back. Um, but I always just look back with just gratefulness and just very thankful that I had that opportunity to be Miss Tennessee. Your uh, devotion to the organization, your longstanding commitment. What was the reason that you picked Miss America and Miss Tennessee? I mean, what got you into specifically this organization and started your career and your journey towards having the job of Miss Tennessee? Well, my pageant journey is not what you would typically think of when you think of someone who would become Miss Tennessee. Um, I never grew up doing pageants or competing in any way like that. Um, I did a competition at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, um, and I just thought that competing in pageants, it was a lot of fun. I met so many friends and I got to perform my talent. My talent was piano. Um, and when I went to go search for more um, competitions to enter, I found the Miss Tennessee organization and I literally Googled pageants in Tennessee and Miss Tennessee popped up. But I was like, that would be so cool um, to compete for Miss Tennessee. Um, and what really kept me coming back though was for sure the scholarship money. Um, I was raised by a single mom. I'm the oldest of five. So scholarships is, uh, that was a big priority for me. So um, that's what definitely kept me coming back. Um, but as I competed, I was able to see the job of Miss Tennessee and what Miss Tennessee was doing um, and the impact that she was making on the community. And that is really what kept me coming back, wanting to get that job, wanting to um, make that own, my own impact on my community um, in my own way as Miss Tennessee. Speaking of scholarships, I mean, I've earned almost 25,000 in scholarships myself. How, how much total earnings did you have from the Miss Tennessee and Miss America organization? Because of course, competing at Miss America was even more. So what did you end up with? Do you have a total? Yes, I do. I was able to earn um, around $35,000 in scholarship money competing for the Miss America organization. And, um, you know, I, I only won that one time. So um, uh, a lot of those dollars were for um, placing in the top five or winning, you know, other awards. And so it just goes to show that there's so many opportunities for um, women to earn scholarship money with or without winning um, the title. They can still have that opportunity to win those additional scholarship dollars to go towards their education. It's so important. I mean, that we're one of the number one scholarship providers for women in the U.S. and in, in Miss America, oftentimes it, people don't realize the emphasis that we've had on scholarships. And you know, speaking of the emphasis that Miss America has now placed on scholarships, but also our social impact initiatives, 
you know, your social impact initiative, you know, used to be called a platform is advocates for autism. And it's an organization we'll talk more about and that I've just been so inspired by the work and advocacy you've done. But Miss America has gone through a lot of changes. And of course, one of which, you know, we both competed in the swimsuit competition together uh, back in 2018. That was my first year at Miss Tennessee. And I know you'd, you'd been before, but, you know, what do you think, um, first, do you think that that was the right time? I mean, you know, Miss America, of course, changes not only in reaction to the world we're living in, but also in almost a proactivity to where we're going as, as in society, as women. You know, talk to me about what your reaction was to the removal of the swimsuit competition and the emphasis on social impact and how you think that might have affected, you know, having come in and become Miss Tennessee that next year. So I I do remember hearing um, the rumors that swimsuit was going to be taken out of the competition. And I had competed in swimsuit um, for three years, actually. Um, and it just was just part of the competition for me. I never put a lot of emphasis on um, that being part of the job of Miss Tennessee. Um, and I think that's what the point of really removing that competition was, was to show that Miss America and Miss Tennessee is so much more than um, what you're, what you look like on the outside. Um, and I remember saying that I didn't care if, if there was a juggling competition or if they took, if they added a whatever cooking competition, whatever it was going to be, I wanted to do the competition so I could win the title of Miss Tennessee and do the job of Miss Tennessee. I think looking back, especially now that the organization has grown, so many more women want to compete in the organization because of the removal of Sunsu. Um, I think it just opens the doors and creates uh, a more inclusive uh, organization. So I'm, I'm okay with it because like I said, I didn't care if it was a juggling competition. Um, I was going to do it because I, I, I knew that I could do the job of Miss Tennessee and I wanted to earn that job. I think it's also interesting because you talk about how this, this part of the competition was such a small percentage and it also was not integral to the job that we were applying for. And so we really have seen a lot of changes. I mean, you know, Miss America started out as a bathing review. Um, you know, only certain types of people were allowed to participate in Miss America. And so, you know, your your job as Miss Tennessee, you know, was part of continuing to see, we've seen changes over time. And um, the swimsuit competition, of course, is just one of those. Uh, so with the emphasis on the social impact initiative side of things and having these these organizations or these platforms that we care so much about. Advocates for Autism was uh, something that I loved to watch you grow, not only as Miss Tennessee, but you did the work in the local title holder uh, position as well and really dove into that. Talk to me about why you started Advocates for Autism and what you're doing still to this day, two years after earning the job of Miss Tennessee. So um, Advocates for Autism is a 501c3 um, that I was able to start in uh, 2017. And I, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, my sister-in-law now um, has uh, autism. And I've been able to uh, work with lots of children on the autism spectrum. 
And it's something that a lot of people don't know about. And I've noticed that more awareness needs to be brought to people with autism and how we can make our world and our spaces more inclusive with those on the spectrum. Um, so it started out as a um, just a campus organization at UT Knoxville. And I wanted to create even more of an impact. And so that's where the nonprofit came. Um, but it's been so amazing uh, being able to work with Advocates for Autism as a local title holder just in the Knoxville community, because I, I, I spent a lot of time in the Knoxville community when I was a local title holder. And so I worked very, very, um, in, I had an integral part in that community, um, working with different organizations uh, that serve people with autism. And then when I was able to continue that as Miss Tennessee, I was able to take it statewide. Um, and so now we have um, a chapter, a collegiate chapter at the University of Memphis, and we're working with Austin P in Clarksville and in Chattanooga as well. And so being able to make that impact statewide is something that I knew that I could do as Miss Tennessee and something that I continue to do. Um, and so it's been really awesome. It's Advocates for Autism is still, we're still doing good. We had our Autism Family Day at the Ripley's Aquarium in the Smokies um, in October. And this is the, this was the third one that I've worked, um, but it's been an event that's, that's been, um, been a thing for like five years. Uh, but it's been really awesome. We've been able to go into the aquarium and turn the lights down a little bit, turn uh, the weird aquarium music off and uh, just have an opportunity for people with autism and, fam and their families to experience the aquarium without the sensory overload. We're just taking it day by day and still working on um, being able to provide an inclusive environment for everybody. Now, this has continued to become a larger issue and a more vital shift. I mean, these sensory safe zones in, um, you know, in entertainment and in sports. I mean, I'm sure you probably know the statistics. I mean, I remember when I was uh, in high school, a freshman in high school, it was one in 83 children were mm -hmm. being diagnosed with autism. I mean, gosh, what is it now? It's, it's in the 50s, right? It, it's, it's in one in 53 last I've checked it's getting diagnosed more and more just because we're learning so much more about it, um, which is a good thing. We should be learning more about it so we can make our spaces more inclusive. Um, an organization that's doing such an amazing job is Culture City, and they're one of the people, one of the organizations who are putting those sensory rooms in stadiums and arenas and different places like that. And that is, all up my alley because there there's just there's not a lot of those places where people with autism or even anybody with sensory uh, sensitivities can have that time and that space to be able to get away from the sensory overload um, and so I I'm just really excited to continue this work um, even without the crown and the title of Miss Tennessee. What do you think specifically looking at it from a policy side or, or looking at it from, you know, the, the civic engagement element of what you do with Advocates for Autism, what 
role would you say policymakers have in Tennessee? Is it is it funding that we're we're uh, voting on? Are we looking at um, access to education? Is what is it that we can do, and why should we be voting for people who have autism on their um, their issues list? I mean, what is the the policy side, and why should people be voting um, with that in mind? Well, I when I was Miss Tennessee, I was able to be a part of the Tennessee Council of Disabilities, um, and there was so many people from all different organizations and um, school districts and other people who would come together quarterly and talk about issues like this. What can we do? What funding can um, we we raise or um, allocate so we can help these populations? And I. I think it, it is a civics issue. I think it, it, and most of it is funding. So me being an educator and seeing it firsthand, um, especially in Metro Nashville Public Schools where I work, um, there is a big population of special needs children who need support, need teachers, need paraprofessionals. And unfortunately, there's also a shortage of that. Um, and that really goes it's really because of funding and um, lack of support uh, from the government. Um, and there, there's just a huge shortage of teachers, um, paraprofessionals and professionals that work with our exceptional education students. This is why it's important to know about these issues because um, I've seen it firsthand where children who need support and need services um, aren't able to get them because they're simply not available and the people are simply not there. You know, speaking on your education uh, side of, of your career, you know, you are an early childhood education teacher. You're a first grade teacher, um, you know, at Robert Churchwell Elementary. Where do you think the role of Miss Tennessee has equipped you coming back because you were already teaching um, in early elementary? What did the role of Miss Tennessee provide you that maybe you didn't know or a perspective you didn't have before um, now that you do after having been Miss Tennessee? So a really big part of my job as Miss Tennessee was working with the Department of Education. Um, I was able to work really closely with Commissioner Schwinn, and we talked a lot about promoting reading literacy and the whole child initiative. And so with that role, I was able to go into so many schools, middle schools, high schools, elementary schools, I mean, all across the state from east to west. And um, it was so interesting being able to see the different schools and see um, the different school districts and the different counties, the different demographics and um, just class sizes, um, teachers, all, all of these things uh, that I was able to see with the different schools. I think that experience being able to talk with um, various audiences, uh, various groups of people, adults and children, that really helped me and gave me a good perspective on what education is looking like in Tennessee. And I was able to bring some of those experiences back into my own classroom. Um, so it, it was very interesting to see a lot of the different schools. I, I did my student teaching in Knoxville. Um, and even just, even just comparing 
Knoxville schools to Nashville schools. Um, it's really, it's really eye-opening to see some of the differences there, just differences in class sizes and funding and resources, uh, just based on where students live. So it, it, it was very an eye-opening experience. Well, there's definitely a connection, you know, as Miss Tennessee myself, going into schools specifically on civic literacy. I think that's part of being a well-rounded Tennessean is an American is understanding our civic engagement side, understanding civic literacy, how our legislature works. And, you know, that definitely is a continuation of the work you are doing. Um, and it's a different kind of literacy, but it's so equally important and understanding why we vote, where, you know, where we go to do it and, and why why it's important and speaking to that, you know, looking at education, you're talking about the differences in class sizes and funding. What do you think our elected officials can do or, and why should we be voting for people um, that have an emphasis on education? You know, where does voting and policymaking play into your experience as an educator and maybe the incentives or disincentives to be an educator? Well, first of all, I think the people who are making the decisions, the, the lawmakers, the, the school board, these should be people who have that classroom experience, have that experience on the front lines, um, using the, these curriculums, um, actually with the children teaching the content. And I think that's something that I've noticed has been lacking in a lot of the policymakers, um, especially recently. And so I think there's a huge role that policymakers can play, especially when we're talking about um, choosing curriculums and um, choosing the content that we are supposed to be teaching in the classroom. Uh, being able to have that firsthand experience, knowing what what a first grader, for example, is capable of, what a first grader knows about just their development um, as a six and seven year old, um, being able to have that experience, knowing what it's like uh, in a classroom with 25 first graders, I think that would significantly help uh, some of the policies that are being passed and laws that are being passed and things that um, people are discussing about what's happening in schools. And my, my belief is that teachers need to be a part of the conversation. Whenever it has anything to do with teachers, education, or what our students are learning um, and how they're learning it, teachers need to be at the table. There's, there's a huge, I mean, there's a huge connection with education and policy. Um, it, it, it really does affect everything. And I've been able to see it firsthand, just the inequities uh, when a school district has policymakers who actually um, talk for them and speak for them. Um, and so when you are going to the polls and voting, you should be voting for you know, people who are going to stand up for your kids in your community and are going to um, have the backs of your teachers in your community. Because teachers, I mean, I'm, I'm biased because I am a teacher, but teachers really do have, I mean, such an important job because we are truly growing and 
um, developing the future leaders of our generation, the future leaders of our society. And it's, and it's, I know it's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves, but it really is our responsibility to make sure that they have equality and equitable education. Um, and that can only be possible if we have people who are making the laws and policymakers who are on our side and who are fighting for us. Well, I definitely think that, you know, having teachers as part of the conversation is so important. I mean, it's, it's, it's equitable representation of women in policymaking on the ballot, but it's also of educators as part of that conversation. And I hope that, you know, we can continue together to encourage educators to go into policymaking, to go into um, politics and to consider running for office and to consider being on the school boards. It's, it's so important. They're they're definitely the most equipped to handle those issues. And of course, your, your focus on um, you know, autism awareness and advocacy is a, a big part of that story. Um, thinking about where we're at in 2021 and where we've come from as American women, what do you think it means to be a modern suffragette in 2021? A modern suffragette to me is a woman who is bold, a woman who is not afraid to break the rules. A woman who is not afraid to go against the grain and fight for what she believes in. I absolutely love that. It is it is so so true. And to to get to see you continuing to work in in your school and as an educator and an advocate, it is so inspiring to see and um, to just have been able to watch your year as Miss Tennessee and of course to follow in your footsteps. It it really is an honor. I don't think um, I don't think I say it enough. And so it it meant the world to me that you were the one that was uh, passing on the job and uh, to me in in Memphis in July. And so I so appreciate you being on the podcast, sharing your story. And it's just such a small snippet of who you are and the work that you do um, that I, I really can't thank you enough for your time. Of course, Tally. Anything for my Miss Tennessee sister. All right, girl. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for listening to the Suffragette Series podcast. It means the world. Please consider subscribing, following, or downloading wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned for more episodes and really amazing conversations. This was recorded at Small Town Startup in Springfield, Tennessee. All music through Soundstripe and distribution through Buzzsprout. Please visit votewithavision.org or email me at votewithavision at gmail.com to connect. You can connect with me over on Instagram at the Nashville Blonde. Or check out what I'm doing as Miss Tennessee at Miss America TN. Until next time, keep living as a modern suffragette. You're worth it.